You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBGive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBGive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. There's a lot going on in the world of health. A lot of breakthroughs, of course, with diseases, new challenges that we've seen, too, with now coming out of, we hope, the pandemic. There have been technological opportunities that are helping us diagnose challenges that we have from a health standpoint. Many new drugs and medications to treat chronic illnesses. But, you know, our health is not just determined by medical attention. Not just determined by that. There have been studies that have shown that one of the biggest predictors of a person's longevity and health has to do with their income, has to do with race, has to do with things like zip code. And that's a shame because if we have what it takes to create health and longevity, what will it take for us to have these resources evenly distributed so that all people can expect to live long, healthy, and productive lives? Well, with me today is a gentleman who is working on that. And he's not doing it by himself. He's doing it through a network of health care organizations, insurers, nonprofits, and businesses to try to even this playing field. I shouldn't call it a playing field. Even the living field. So that no matter what your circumstances are, you can expect to live a long, healthy, and productive life. We want to begin to address what are now commonly known as the social determinants of health. So Gene Axius, who is the president and CEO of an organization I've had the pleasure of affiliating with now for many years, and I'm now even on the board of directors, is Creating Healthier Communities. Creating Healthier Communities is the name of the organization. And I wanted to bring Gene on to talk about the work it is planning and what it's currently doing to try to begin addressing some of these challenges that are keeping some people from having those long, healthy, and productive lives. Gene, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. 
Well, Art, thank you so much for having me. I'm deeply honored uh, to be having this conversation with you and equally honored that you're on our board. Oh, great. So, Gene, first, you know, on these podcasts, I like to tell our listeners about our guest. In this case, I know you have a background in the nonprofit space. Gene, having worked for the AARP organization, but tell us about how you have gotten into this space. You're also a PhD. Tell us how you got into this space and why it's so compelling to you. Well, all right. First of all, thank you again. I am deeply honored. I will tell you that I was raised by my grandmother for the first four years of my life uh, in Haiti. And I saw her each and every morning get up well before the sunrise and went into the marketplace to try to make some living uh, by selling goods to other people and then come back real late in the evenings. And she did what she could uh, with what she had to ensure that I actually went to school. I came to the United States at the age of four. I moved uh, to Florida to be with my dad and then my dad and his wife, my bonus mom, and grew up in an environment where uh, I was extremely blessed spiritually, but also remember that clearly my aunt was a housekeeper for a family in Boca and she was the uh, housekeeper and also the nanny for over 30 plus years. And I remember driving with my aunt from time to time from where we lived at the time, which was a very middle income neighborhood, if you will, to where this family lived in Boca, where they had a yacht in the back of their house. And I, extremely nice people, very supportive family, but it just occurred to me at a very young age uh, the differences in life experiences, the differences in the accumulation of wealth, the differences in the ability to have a range of options, and how that impacts someone's health over time. And my aunt had a four-door Nissan that was probably 40 years old at the time. I can't remember. And we would pull up into this very lavish community. And I was inspired by that and said, what could I do? to try to close some of these gaps, whether or not I realized it at that young age of 13. So for the vast majority of my life, I've been on this mission, whether it's been implicit or not, to look for opportunities to address the structural and systemic issues that impact people's ability to live a healthier life, one uh, that they are in the driver's seat of their own destiny, and realize to the point that you made earlier in your opening that where you live has huge implications for not just how long you live, but also for the, your quality of life. I'll give you one example here in D.C. If you're a resident in Georgetown, your life expectancy is about 94 years old. But if you go down just a couple of miles to Anacostia, nearby neighbor, it is 67. Think about that. Two neighborhoods, about five to six miles apart, you have nearly a 30-year gap in life expectancy. Wow. I was in Philadelphia last week. My hometown. And uh, similar stats. Similar stats. Depending on the neighborhood you live in, your life expectancy might be 20 years longer than a neighborhood two to five miles down the street. And we see this consistent pattern in just about every city. What this actually represents, Art, is that 
the differences in life expectancy is not just a number. Yeah. What we're talking about here, Art, is time lost. Is the inability or the lack of opportunity to be able to spend more time with the people that matter most to you, to do the things that you care deeply about, to be able to give back and contribute in very meaningful and intentional ways. That's what we're talking about here. And we know so much of that, it is really driven by your zip code. It is where you live, where you eat, where you work, where you play, where you pray. And all of that is interconnected and impacts and influences your health. Whether it's the quality of food options that are available to you or the quality of options in terms of medical, being able to see your primary care or specialist, all of that is part of that built environment. So when we talk about the social determinants or the social drivers of health, that's what we're talking about here is how do we start to look at the ecosystem of the community and really think about how, whether it's education or economic mobility or healthcare access or transportation or safety or parks and recreation, how does all of that fit together in a way that's going to ensure that you have optimal health? So at CHC, we have been on this mission for more than 65 plus years to look at ways where we can address the barriers to health with a critical focus on equity to ensure that it doesn't matter if you are a resident in Anacostia here in the DC area or a resident of Georgetown, that you have the equal amount of probability of living a longer and hopefully a life of that is full of meaning and purpose. And that you're not robbed solely based off the zip code in which you were born in or you live in. Well, let's talk about CHC as we commonly refer to it, creating healthier communities. It wasn't always called that. Some years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I think I'm about right in suggesting that, it was called Community Health Charities. And it had been known by that name for maybe 55 years or so. So, Gene, tell us about the the transition from what your organization was to what it currently is today. Many things uh, are, as you noted, it, we were known for a significant part of our existence as creating healthier charities. We were one of the first charities to focus solely, primarily on addressing health. And our board, through the amazing work of my predecessor, prior CEO Tom, and the board really wanted to kind of look into the future and really think about exactly what are the opportunities to have a meaningful impact and to make a meaningful difference, in addition to the work that we've been doing for more than 65 plus years. And through a range of strategy conversations with the board and with the leadership, we thought that it was important to rebrand ourselves as creating healthier communities to take into account the work that we've been doing in terms of serving as a connector and a convener between what employees want to give and providing those resources to the charities of their choice, to also an organization that wanted to have meaningful, impactful work taking place at the community level to address some of these drivers, that it could be and we could be an organization that not only provided resources to nonprofits and connecting those uh, nonprofits to the employees that support them, but we could also be an organization that actively listens and engages with communities and look at and engage with communities from an asset 
lens and not a deficit lens, that we could actually serve as a connector and a convener, bringing together different sectors and leaders to come together around the needs and preferences of communities, that we had an opportunity to really be very consumer-centric and consumer-led, serving in a way that bridges the gaps that currently exist. That because we're doing work in the community and because communities often know what they want, and in many cases, communities have often figured out how to get things done, that we had an opportunity to be able to provide capacity-enhancing services to those nonprofits in a way that would ensure that those established, anchored, trusted organizations are there for the long term and long haul. And then finally, that we had an opportunity to be able to elevate, amplify what we see might be working in certain communities to help inform policy and address the root causes that is taking place. So creating healthier communities is building off of the legacy of more than 65 plus years with by not just doubling down our efforts in terms of being that bridge and that connector and that convener, but also being an organization that is trying to accelerate the pace of change and scale for impact. Gene, I wanted to ask you about how this work plays out in the daily programming at creating healthier communities. Well, Art, I want to, first of all, give your organization a huge shout out. Uh, For those who are not aware, BBB Wise did an amazing case study to document our transformation as an organization with the hopes that the insights and lessons that we've learned through our own transformation journey might be beneficial for other organizations who are looking to transform themselves or ask themselves those harder, deeper questions in terms of exactly why do they exist? Well, it was our pleasure to do it. I'll just tell you that it was, it was a wonderful experience for our team to work on such an important project. And I'm really happy that it helped make a difference in, in what you were able to learn, especially as the incoming CEO. So thank you for that. Uh, Thank you. But our history, starting off as community health charities to becoming creating healthier communities, has been a common theme between those two changes in the name of the organization. Our vision is still the same in many ways with some minor modifications, getting back to what we were talking about earlier, that we envision a world where every single person in every community has an opportunity to live their healthiest life. And that our mission, which we recently revised to reflect our journey moving forward, is focused on building partnerships that address health inequities by engaging communities, by fostering a range of services and supports, by creating opportunities for continuing to build up the fundraising capacities for many organizations who are on the ground and who's looking to actually scale for impact. So this work has been very instrumental the case study that we just mentioned and the conversation we've had internally in terms of exactly given the need, one that has been amplified by the pandemic, one that has really demonstrated the vast gaps that exist in our country and what we're seeing as an aftermath with respects to the range of challenges and issues families are faced, that we have an opportunity from a programmatic perspective to address these issues. We're doing this in multiple ways that one could consider around how do we address or in some cases, increase access to healthcare services. 
We're addressing in many ways the maternal health crisis. We are focused right now in about five communities, Cleveland, Detroit, LA, Indianapolis, and Atlanta. We're doing work around disparities in terms of cancer care and vaccine equity. And we're also doing work with respects to mental health. So those are just some examples of work that we're doing on the ground with our partners. CHC could not and can't not do this in isolation with our partners on the ground to provide the resources, the technical assistance, the capacity enhancing services with the hopes that we can actually start to address some of these gaps, whether it's in the context of the maternal health crisis, which disproportionately impact black and brown birthing people, or what we're seeing, particularly with mental health, which has a huge implication, particularly for youth, or the work that we're seeing with regards to cancer care and vaccine access, which has huge implications, particularly for black and brown women, in this particular case in Atlanta, where the prevalence is extremely high. The work that we do, Art, is looking at these issues across all ages and life stages. Because if we're going to close the gaps that we see in terms of life expectancy, we have to really approach the work from that consumer and that community lens across all ages. How do we ensure that the work that we're doing really impacts and influences and we hear from those who are directly impacted by these inequities in a way that goes them? So you talk about the pillars of your strategic plan, which I had the occasion to hear about in Atlanta when we were together a few weeks ago. What are the key pillars of your strategic plan? And we'll talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. So one of the things that we want to do and is really we want to be an impactful organization. And we have spent some time and many things to you, Art, to talk about impact. What does that mean for CHC? How do we measure that? How do we ensure that we're actually meeting the needs of the range of stakeholders and people we serve? So impact is a key pillar for us. In fact, that is our North Star. It connects directly to our vision as well as our mission. Uh, we do work in the workplace giving space. So how are we ensuring that the work around health equity is showing up in that space? We're doing work in the programmatic space. And again, how does that show up? The other aspect of this, too, is in addition to our impact is the fact that uh, when I first became president and CEO, I was told, and we've had some studies that demonstrated this, that CHC is one of the world's best kept secrets. We're doing a lot of work. And in many ways, people may not know of creating healthier communities. So one of the areas that we're focused on is really raising that awareness, but raising that awareness in a way that actually matters to you matters to the people on the ground and the people that we serve and the partners that we engage with. So it's really an opportunity to tell their story, to help to create what our board chair would refer to as a movement, where everyone sees that they have an opportunity and a role to play in addressing these inequities in a very meaningful, intentional way. That And in fact, uh, Deloitte demonstrated this in one of their studies that health disparities actually cost the U.S. $322 billion in 2022. Wow. Right? Wow. So if you think about that, and it makes a lot of sense if you think about it because of the fact that what's going on is that people are being robbed of the opportunity for optimal health. Mm. So there is a cost direct and indirect to that. And so that's the economic cost. But there's also what you and I talked about earlier, Art, 
that the human connection, the missed opportunities, the loss of time, which impacts families, which impacts communities in a significant way. So we want to focus on our impact. We want to focus on addressing the awareness gap. And of course, we are focused as an organization on ensuring that we have a very strong foundation, both in terms of our workforce. Our workforce is an amazing group of team players who are passionate about addressing the social drivers of health and really thinking about how can we be an employer of choice. We offer significant work-life balance. I am proud that to say that we are not just walking the talk. We're not just talking, we're walking the talk, where we actually have a four-day work week to ensure that our staff has an opportunity to get some downtime and really kind of thinking about a uh, total well-being. Well, that's really wonderful because I don't think people appreciate the pull that working six, seven days a week can have on, even five days can have on someone's life. Exactly. And I just think it's really forward looking for your organization to consider what it means to people to have an extra day to deal with family matters and not have that added stress on their lives because they can take care of personal things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you too, Gene, about some of the partners that you bring together to get your work done. Really impressive list of corporations and nonprofits that work together with you because of your ability to connect with them to get this work done. Tell us about some of the projects you're working on in partnership with others. We are extremely fortunate to have a very wide network across industries and sectors. Whether it's our corporate leadership council that comprises of more than 60 global companies that include companies such as Johnson & Johnson to Starbucks to Walmart to some foundations, and the list goes on and on and on, to uh, the fact that we have an opportunity to serve close to 5,000 nonprofits on an annual basis. We have direct impact on about 1,500 nonprofits on an annual basis through our workplace giving efforts. And then the remainder are write-ins where we engage with them or the work that we're doing, particularly in some of our programmatic areas, particularly working with organizations who are providing direct services to meet the needs, particularly in this particular case as around maternal health or around cancer care. Because a lot of the work that we're doing is consumer and community led with community voices at the table. We also want to ensure that we have this opportunity to evaluate and to understand what is working and how might we actually scale for impact. So most of our initiatives, actually, there's an evaluation component to it. With regards to the Black Birthing Initiative, I am extremely excited to share with all of you that we're starting to see some of the impact of that work now. Fantastic. In fact, we've had a significant number of people who've actually been screened as part of the assessment process. And we know that come December, the first births will take place through this particular initiative. And we're actually tracking the women throughout their journey and ensuring that they have doula support, that they have a range of services and supports to ensure that they have this very successful outcome and experience. So as I mentioned, Art, whether it's the Corporate Leadership Council, the nonprofit partners that we engage with, or our actual partners on the ground in some of these communities who are doing the work, we have this opportunity to serve as that convener and that connector in a way to really drive systemic change 
And in addition to just driving the systemic change, is to also share some of the insights that we're learning along the way. One of the things we do here at CHC that is very impactful, that I hope, is that we believe that we have to be invited into a community. And we don't go into a community telling them what they want or what they need. We spend a lot of time listening. We also spend time looking at the broader ecosystem and doing some form of a community assessment to see where there might be gaps and how do we start to address those gaps so that a particular intervention or program is successful. And again, this is all community-led. I'm really glad you mentioned the, the Black Birthing Initiative because I had a chance to meet Shawnee Benton Gibson Yes, through your organization. And they did a, a film, a film documentary. I had her on a podcast talking about the film documentary that covers a lot of the issues surrounding women of color during their pregnancies and how many of them will not survive their pregnancies because of health disparities. You know, you can just imagine going in, having, doing something very natural, which is to give birth, a very joyous thought, a very joyous event, and you don't survive. Well, the numbers bear out that women of color are far more likely to die during childbirth than others. And Shawnee did a great job telling the story, and she's doing a lot of work on it. And I met her through you, through your organization, which was a real blessing. I'm fortunate not that we have five grandchildren. My son has, and his wife have two, and my daughter and her husband have three. And we don't, we just kind of took for granted that everything would be fine, you know, and, and it fortunately was. But I learned from my daughter during the pandemic, my daughter was expecting a child, Jean, and she lives in New York, lived in New York at the time, but we told them to come down here to stay with us in Maryland. And so my daughter would say, you know, I need to go back to New York to see my doctor. And I was like, well, why do you need to go back to New York? We have great doctors down here in Maryland. We need to go up there. She says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. When a black woman is expecting a child, she must find a doctor that she's comfortable with, who understands her needs, who's going to listen to what she says and adjust whatever the the needs are adjust to whatever that particular woman's needs are. I found that doctor in New York because a lot of us who don't find that some of us don't make it. And that's when I really discovered that there was this disparity. My daughter was so concerned about it that she would travel hours from Maryland back to New York where there was a high incidence of COVID just so that she could see her doctor. And all I'm saying is we don't, the information about this, first of all, needs to get out. And I'm sure that's one of the things you're working on, not only about this, but other issues. But so many of us are unaware of the disparities in treatment and so forth that cause us to have these kinds of problems. So anyway, I just wanted to, to mention that. And Gene, let me just say to you also, you are a tremendous leader and spokesperson for this issue. And the country is really fortunate that you decided to take this job on at this time. 
there are many people who are very talented, like yourself, who choose to go on and work in the corporate setting. Good for them. But not everyone with your background would choose to spend time working in a nonprofit focused on making a difference in the lives of potentially millions of people. I want to I want to hold that up and I want to say to others out there who are thinking what can I do differently? Maybe it's time for a change. See what you can do. I know it's not always easy to connect with a nonprofit. We're not always the easiest and most welcoming set of organizations or sector. But if you if you're really interested, persevere and follow Gene Gene's path because he's going to do some amazing things for our country and for people who live here who might otherwise not have received the kind of benefits that they're going to receive from you. So I just want to say that. Thank you so much, Art. That means a lot coming from you. Well, speaking of that, Gene, you, you're here. No one can predict the future. You know I'm somewhat of a futurist. But if you had 10 years to look forward, what would you hope to see happen? During that time, it's a tough question. So take your time if you need a few minutes to answer. But what would you expect to see between now and the next 10 years that would be different because of your work? So I really appreciate that question. And as I think about the next 10 years, in fact, our strategic plan goes to about we did this process in a way where we said, you know, we want to know exactly what would 10 years look like? And then how do we actually start off in terms of with a five-year plan? And it really kind of gets back to the vision of the organization. That in about 10 years, we know as a futurist, Art, you would appreciate this, that there, there are some data points that are undeniable and that you can't actually argue. One is the fact that the population is becoming more and more diverse. Yeah. The second is the fact that income inequality is widening. The third is the fact that certain communities, to the point that you just mentioned earlier, are disproportionately impacted by just about every indicator of health. And then you have to kind of step back and say, well, why is that? And some of that is structure in nature. In fact, most of it is structure in nature. I think the pandemic really kind of bore that out. So in about 10 years, we'll have a much more diverse population than we have today. And the question we have to ask ourselves is that if there's these huge differences that are driven by where an individual actually lives, 80% of your health is basically dictated by, is influenced by where you live. 20% is genetics. If we don't solve for this, what will be the state and quality of our country Mm. in the next 10 years? If we don't start to address this, what would be the economic implications across all generations and all communities in the next 10 years? If we don't really take the time to think outside the box and to create partnerships that will have meaningful, meaningful partnerships to have targeted interventions that are led by communities because they are the ones who know their communities the best, where will we be? In other words, our We cannot afford the status quo, Mm -hmm. both from a human, both from a social cohesion, as well as an economic perspective. We cannot afford the status quo. So it is incumbent upon all of us to really think about what can I do today 
to help to address some of these gaps that exist because it will impact me. It will impact my community. It will impact my families. So hopefully 10 years from now that we would see a meaningful difference in some of the indicators around health that disproportionately impact many historically marginalized communities. We will see a greater recognition how these social drivers impact and influence health. And I think we've, we've started to see that quite a bit. And that we'll see more communities receiving the resources and the support to be in the driver's seat of solving their own challenges. What makes you hopeful that we'll get there? I don't think we have a choice. Mm. I, I think what makes me hopeful is hearing the stories that you just mentioned about your daughter, about what I've read in different papers and what we're seeing is the fact that people are coming together from different backgrounds and different communities or different organizations to say, okay, what role can I play in this? And I think that makes me hopeful. What I would say is the fact that we need to keep our foot on the gas and not take it off and that we need to be intentional and be committed to addressing these issues for the long haul. Let me just say this to you, Gene. I think we it seems that we all have a role to play. That's exactly right. We all have to become more aware, first of all, of the information that you're putting out, the data, which says that zip codes matter, education matters, you know, health, the kind of diets that your food you have access to matters. The environment that you're living in matters. Obviously, violence matters. These things are so connected. And you almost can't treat one thing without addressing addressing the whole. But knowing about this is the first step, it seems. And I believe what you're doing can help us in so many ways just understand what these challenges are. And then I also think that you have given us just here today some thoughts that we can go back and begin to think about differently. And we can think differently about the things we do every day that could be driving us to have these kinds of negative outcomes. Are we going to get checked out when we need to? What kind of nutrition are we putting in to our bodies? Are we getting up and moving around a little bit, (laughs) you know, getting some exercise? And the mental side of it, too. I think so many of us struggle with mental issues that, and emotional issues that go untreated for years. You know, so there's, there are things that we can do, but I think the awareness aspect of this is so important. I just hope that people will now begin to at least pause if they got nothing else from this, is to just understand that it can change. It will change if we do something about it. And we have to work together to make sure that it does change. So I'm just, again, really, really pleased, Gene, that you are doing this. I'm hopeful that all of your hopes and aspirations will be realized. And I hope that there's things that I can do. You'll call on me to be supportive. I I really want to see us as a nation thrive. And absolutely. Of course, I want to see my grandchildren grow up in a healthy way too. Well, listen, all of you, you've been listening to Gene Axius. Gene is the president and CEO 
of creating healthier communities, an organization focused on, among other things, eliminating health disparities so people can live long, healthy, and productive lives. And he's given us a lot to think about today. Gene, how can others join you in this this endeavor? Well, Art, thank you so much. As I mentioned before, we all have a role to play and we're all going to be impacted by many of the things we talked about today. And the best thing we can be and do is to be very proactive. Uh, so for those who are listening uh, today, I would highly encourage you to visit us at chcimpact.org. Again, our website is chcimpact.org. And join us. Join us on this journey. Join us in this movement to ensure that every person in every community really has an opportunity to live their healthiest life. This is possible. This is solvable. This is doable. But it takes will. And it takes creativity. And it takes partnership. And we're looking for partners. Well, there you've heard it. And for all of you who are listening to this podcast for the first time, know that it is released every Tuesday. Every Tuesday we do a new episode. And I hope you will subscribe to the show by going to any major podcast platform, any platform at all in that fact. You can even find us on YouTube. But we're on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, all of them. So just go there and you can sign up for a regular subscription by just clicking a link. It's not, nothing big to that. And if you want to support us financially, we would certainly appreciate that. It's not critical that you do so uh, because we're going to do this whether you support us or not. But just listen is the main thing. But if you do want to support us, please go to givegive.org and we will certainly put that money to great use. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back here next week. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.